Welcome to the Giving Gifts Podcast, a place for real people to share real stories as they navigate how to use their gifts in this world. I saved this episode to come out on February 1st as we enter into a month that is infamously known to celebrate love. When I started this podcast, I knew that if I was inviting others to share their stories, I would need to be open to sharing a bit of mine as well. A huge part of my story is my own experience with understanding and receiving love from God. Another pivotal part of my story is experiencing personally and witnessing for so many others a lack of love from people who also claim to believe in God. For a lot of years, I thought to love others and to receive love was to fight for myself and for others who may also feel unloved unvalued, and unneeded. I'm still sorting through what I believe to be true about God and what I believe is just narrative that I've picked up along the way. Something that has not shifted is that I do believe that we are created in an image of love. To give love, to receive love, to reflect love. I am very thankful to have Dottie Olson share a bit of her own story and experience navigating how to love and be loved in the world right now. You might find Dottie in Long Beach, California, probably out running with her husband, Jesse, their 14-month-old kiddo, Beckham, and their sweet pup, Sequoia. You may also find Dottie pastoring over two communities, City Church of Long Beach and Harbor Online Community. Dottie shares that since she was a kid, she has loved the church and people. And as the years progress, the image of church continues to expand into a warm, eclectic, intercultural, queer place of belonging. I don't think that those words are always what we associate with church. And I love those words. With 11 plus years of working in ministry and extensive research in psychology, Dottie uses a cross-disciplinary approach to offer pastoral care and reimagine liberated church communities. Dottie holds a master's in divinity with a specialization in global and community engagement from Boston University. And I truly believe that no matter who you are, what you believe, what your experience has been from church culture or people who claim to be Christians, that this episode is so encouraging and needed right now. To love at all is to learn, to listen, to accept, and what a beautiful gift love is. So we can actually just hop into to just kind of who you are and what takes up your time. And um, I think just being able to introduce yourself from a perspective of what is your day to day life look like right now? Hmm. Um, So, yeah. Oh, I love the way you frame that question. All right. My day to day life right now. I am mom to my sweet Beckham boy, 
who is 14 months. And that takes up a lot of my time in my day-to-day life. And I love, I love being a mom. It's a really fun, joyful role for me. Um, I'm also a wife to Jesse and him and I have been together for 11 years and I love our partnership. Um, and I run and I spend a lot of time outdoors and trying to engage with nature. And I also um, work <laughs> and I pastor at two communities. One is a, a completely online community and it's called Harbor Online. And it is this beautiful, eclectic, warm Zoom church uh, where people gather. Um, we gather every Thursday and then there's a lot of little gatherings in between. Um, and it's mainly just was born out of the pandemic by one of the other co-pastors, John. And he created it for people that um, were really disillusioned by church and needed a place to go and find community and rebuild. So that is that takes up part of my time. And I love it. I love pastoring Harbor. It gives me so much hope for church. And then I also do pastoral work at a church in Long Beach, and it's called City Church of Long Beach. And um, yeah, and I love working there. I love the community. It is really fun and, again, quirky. And I don't know, the backbone of our gatherings are potlucks, which for some reason captures how communal it is. And I just have fallen in love with that community too. So both of these communities really have like a special place in my heart. And I love, I love serving them. And then outside of that, in my, in my little gaps, I do some research in psychology. And so I work with a team of psychologists um, out of San Diego and we study virtues um, and mainly the neuroscience of virtues. And we do this to help um, people embody the the things, I don't know, that we call like love, like that help us be more loving people. So my time is, is filled often with many things. Um, and I wear a lot of different hats um, between family and friends and community and um, yeah, pastoral work and research. But that that is just a snapshot. Mm. I feel like I already have so many questions <laughs> because yeah, I actually didn't know that you were doing that research. Um, and now I'm super curious to, okay. So you're doing this research, you're in ministry. And then in addition to that, you're a new mom. Um, yes. yeah. And kind of navigating all those pieces. I'm curious, do you see anything that ties them together for you? Yeah, that's a great question. They all intersect and they all inform one another. Um, Yeah, so the research I do in psychology is really the integration of psychology and theology. So it's um, last week I just helped to lead a conference for pastors and it was helping them uh, develop, really embody these, these virtues. And so the way that even I taught and I led was out of this need for like, what do pastors need right now in the, in the pandemic pastors need care. Like a lot of them are just so burnt out. So uh, the way that I integrated, okay, how do we embody these virtues, um, was really through like 
taking the neuroscience and the research, but really trying to bring it to life in pastoral care for these burnt out pastors. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the pastoral work I do is deeply, deeply informed with my training in psychology. And so I really try to help people find a sense of well-being and grounding and flourishing um, across the wide spectrum of where they might be at spiritually. And so some people are pretty dysregulated with the questions they have, with the rejection they've experienced from churches. And so I really try to have my the way I pastor people be informed by um, the research that I've done in, in the dimensions of religion and spirituality and knowing how turbulent and how anxiety provoking religious seeking, so to say, um, can be. So I really try to pair them. Um, and I think motherhood has made me just more human, more quirky, more relatable, <laughs> more empathetic. So it just is infused in everything I do. And mm. um, yeah, I, I, I have been a recovering perfectionist for at least five <laughs> years now, but I think motherhood really it takes me far away from perfectionism, which is great. <laughs> yeah. So Beckham, it will be with me. Like he has been in a sling while I've done communion. He has um, been on the stage ordaining someone. He's been crawling around during a sermon while I've interviewed someone. He's been on the <laughs> Zoom screen while someone's crying, telling me their story. Uh, he's a part of it all, which is just really fun. And let's talk about. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about ministry, because I think I mean, I think that your education and your training is really fascinating and something I'm really encouraged by, because um, I mean, when I was working in a, in a part of a church community, a huge tension I carried was it didn't feel like there was a place for mm-hmm mental health and psychology and um just like mental well well being mm-hmm. in the same space as uh theology and christianity and yeah um i think for a lot of years for me i tried to create space for both and and just even the conversation around shame and suffering and yeah um really dug into that and then also just felt really defeated a lot of the times with the lack of empathy when it comes to understanding things from different worldviews mm-hmm. and i think you have had a similar experience um yeah. and kind of have used all of all of that <laughs> even doubt or frustration um and shifted it into something that's more inclusive for people and so mm-hmm. i'm curious of when you, and I actually don't know this, when you started seeing yourself wanting to be in church or ministry world um, and where you are now, how what was that process like? I grew up as an evangelical thoroughbred is what I call myself. I grew up uh, as a director's kid and I went to church and loved it as a very young kid. And um, I genuinely just loved Jesus and felt so convicted to live, um, 
yeah, like to live in response to it. Um, and I had a lot of ministry opportunities at a really young age. One of them was I started preaching when I was 14 at my youth group, which is a, like a decent size um, for a 14 year old to start preaching. And it was then that I felt so alive to myself. Um, I loved preaching. I loved the church. I really felt like that the the faith I had was my own faith. Um, and um, I felt like this call to ministry at a very, very young age. Now, that call was always up against <laughs> the fact that I was female. So at a really young age, I felt this deep longing and yearning um, to, to pastor, um, like that that could be a vocational calling. But in my context, the only roles that women had at churches were uh, with women's ministry and children's ministry, which are amazing. Uh, the people I know that were are doing those jobs are so incredible and like often the backbone of churches. But I just knew that wasn't for me. And so I had this really early distinct, what felt like a call to ministry, but up against not knowing how that would play out uh, as a female. And as you can imagine, many, many years of wrestling followed that. <laughs> yeah. And what did you do with that? I mean, so that was four, at 14. How did yeah. that kind of dictate how you chose school and what you chose to study and things like that? Yeah, yeah. So I always felt like I was in this... Um, I was I was captivated by the Jesus story and I knew I wanted to be close to it. And so I I decided to go to a Christian school um and you know even just like the division of soccer I decided to play in was lower so I could be at a a Christian school that I felt really passionate about. And it was at this Christian school ironically where I was introduced to uh, progressive theology. And so I think a lot of people have different experiences at Christian schools and different ideas about what um, happens. And uh, I found that while the students were often pretty exclusive, um, a lot of the professors and staff really helped me see a new type um, of Christianity. And so it was in my early years, I think my first year of college, a professor just basically introduced me to um, feminism 101 of, yes, Dottie, of course you're equal. And of course you can be a pastor and of course you can preach. And he said to me in a, in a ministry class, um, cause I was a youth ministry minor. He said, tell me when you preach at big church one day, kind of as this, like, you can do this, like you've got this. And um, many conversations followed that helped me interrogate um, how I had internalized patriarchy and how I needed to break away from that and see myself as equal. Uh, so it shifted a lot in my college years. And that was uh, kind of what catapulted, I guess, like larger shifts as well. Um, but I, I became more familiar with my equality and more comfortable with it when I was in like my early college years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, which is in pretty unique experience, I would say, for most people who went to private Christian schools. Yeah. Um, I I think for a lot of people, they would say it's a more polarized experience. Where for yeah. you, it sounds like it was kind of the first time where your eyes were actually open to alternatives than what you had seen before. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I felt like I was given such new images and opportunities to understand my role in the kingdom of God. However, this was up again, up against so much of my story is, is a push and pull of growing in these ways, right? Like preaching and then, but realizing, wait, bring it back. I'm a woman. Like And then, okay, finding that I'm equal, but then in college, looking around me at the exclusive culture of Christianity and realizing, okay, well, while I might not be equal or while I might be equal, my friends aren't equal. And so that is where a lot of Christianity became um, pretty gross to me. Uh, I looked around at at the school I went to, which was just, I gathered a lot of really beautiful um, surf culture Christians uh, that were generally middle to upper class um, and straight and white. And that was uh, a large, what felt like everyone, but just a large majority of the school. And I looked at the Christianity that it was fostering and I felt really, really grossed out by it. And, and that, and that, what I experienced was so different than the way that my family had raised me. I was like raised in a household that um, really valued a wide, wide embrace. Um, And so it was in those college years, as I found my own voice and my own equality, that I felt really, really grossed out by what I was seeing in Christian culture. And that's where things began to tear, like, I guess I started to tear apart some of the Christianity I knew. Mm. You are saying this so beautifully. <laughs> I love it. Just I was kind of grossed out rather than just being like, I was pissed. You know, I think that there's um just uh, the way you communicate is something oh. I think is so helpful because um yeah, I I think that what you're explaining is where a lot of people stop or a lot of people uh. um are so grossed out that it it doesn't seem like a relationship with God who fits into some kind of box created by individuals mm-hmm. who are excluding a lot of other people. Um, either you become more access, like acceptable of that exclusion, or a lot of times I think people are are finding themselves not being able to do that and not knowing yeah. where to go from there. So yeah. this was... And just to like really quick, a relationship with God, if the culture rests on a relationship with God, then it doesn't matter how I treat my neighbor. Mm. Right. If it's only like an individual faith, if it's all about how much I read the Bible or pray, it doesn't matter how I treat my neighbor. And it doesn't matter what my community looks like. It doesn't matter if I'm excluding the person that's not a cool kid 
or if I'm excluding the queer sibling or if I'm excluding like BIPOC siblings, because if it's all about myself and God, it doesn't, it doesn't have a wider implication, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, and then you moved after after college and how did that, um, I'll let you talk about this, but you moved from, I mean, what you're explaining to be a pretty, again, I'm going to use the word polarized, but a pretty like polarized community um, Mm -hmm. that held a certain type of person and a certain Mm -hmm. type of upbringing or a certain type of story. And obviously there's exceptions to that. Yeah. Then you moved (laughs) to one of the most diverse areas in the States. Yeah. 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 So every, I mean, everything, there's so much that's happening in the in-between. So like the college that I, that I went to, there's so, this is my, my take, my experience, but so many people would have just really different ones. Um, I moved to Boston and Boston has its own complicated history with so much systemic racism. So, and I got to have a really interesting, um, experience when I went to Boston. And so the way that I have understood it, and if I have, I, yeah, I'll just share a little bit and Cassie, just let me know when we're at time or whatever. But I grew up in this tiny mobile home where my parents um, met in AA and AA was such a huge part of their community. And so this, this Upbringing of mine has really, really painted how I've seen the kingdom of God. And it's most honed in on a Christmas Eve party that my parents would host every single year. And every year in our tiny mobile home, I'm not joking, 70 plus people would pack into our tiny mobile home. People would be smoking on the porch. And it was just this beautiful party for people that didn't have a place to go. And that was my image of the kingdom of God at a very young age of all are welcome without exception. We're not trying to put on a show. Come on in. You belong. And what I experienced in Christianity felt so different from my image of this packed mobile home on Christmas Eve. And it wasn't until I moved to Boston where I felt like I got to experience this kingdom of God like image. And so it was um, very much a coming home party (laughs) for my soul. I, I went to a very eclectic seminary. Um, and it was just so colorful and queer and wonderful. And I just saw inclusion and celebration and liberation at the heart of it. And then I worked for a church, uh, that was very intercultural. And my role at the church was, uh, community programming with immigrant families. And so I got to learn from, families from all over the world. I got to celebrate in their culture and yeah, just really learn um, and break, break bread for Ramadan or go to a Bangladeshi dance class. And it was just such an amazing experience to see faith communities embody this beautiful, eclectic 
warm welcome that I was longing for from my childhood. And so Boston was this coming home party for my soul. Um, And that's where things really started to stabilize for me spiritually. Uh, I, I was still asking a lot of questions, but it felt like I had a community to do it with um, and a community that was really joyful uh, and grounded and very advanced <laughs> in these questions um, to do it with. I don't know if that really makes sense, Cass, but <laughs> it answers your question. I think it totally makes sense and is so such a beautiful illustration. I like that you keep using this illustration of the kingdom of God and what that actually looks like to you and how you really hadn't experienced it in places that you might think you would find that. But in fact, you experienced it in places where often people think it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 Okay. I have a question for you. And I don't know how you're going to answer this. So it'll be kind of fun. But something that keeps coming to mind for me while you're talking is I think often, especially in evangelical culture, there is this stance of knowing knowing God means that you know and have something more than others. Mm. And so it's your obligation to (laughs) convince or prove or, or convert, yeah, <laughs> or convert someone into that, and often it's done through this lens of this group of people who doesn't have that is missing out on love, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> as I kind of, um, yeah, I've had I have had a lot of similar experiences of just experiencing how good God can be outside of that. Yeah. When you allow yourself to see and experience people. So my question for you is on the reverse of that, how would you encourage somebody who maybe finds themselves within the evangelical world, believing that what they have is correct or best, but it's exclusive? How would you encourage them to actually be a part of a kingdom of inclusivity? Yeah, I when I was in college, I was in a moral psychology class and a professor said, I'm it's always a good moment to check in with myself if I'm using the word convert that I might not be seeing the other as fully human, right? And not seeing them in their full dignity and humanity. And that really was what um helped shift my paradigm on I have something good to offer you. Uh, and when I have that stance of I have something good, I have the truth, I am missing out on a couple things. I'm missing out on the opportunity to be humble. Um, humility is such a huge staple of Christianity. Uh, in Philippians 2, we get this image of Jesus as humble, as a humble servant in solidarity with people. So when I see someone else as I need to tell them the truth that I have, I am missing out on the opportunity to even practice Christ-like humility, right? Uh, and instead, it's it kind of turns into narcissism to think that I have everything. I have all of the truth. That's bizarre. Um, then it's like, well, okay, Dottie, you're God then, right? If you have all the truth, you're God. So that's 
just a starter has helped me really shift. The second is when I, when I act like I have the truth, I miss out on seeing the truth that the person in front of me also has, right? It's not that I don't have something good to offer, but the person in front of me made in the image of God has just as much goodness to offer. And so when I sit down with someone of different beliefs or perspectives, I really try to shift out of what do I have to give and more towards what can I learn from them. And I've found that I've experienced God's goodness and presence way more in a mutual sharing than me trying to convert someone or convince someone of my ideas, which is the irony of doing like a a podcast like this, because I would much rather hear how would you answer this question too, you know, Um, but here I am talking at you. Um, Yeah, but there's something beautiful, beautiful when we sit with one another and, and see the goodness of God in each person and have a sense of mystery, wonder, and awe as we look into the eyes of someone else, right? That is so much more interesting to me than trying to convince someone that I have the right answers. Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't feel like you're just talking, um, talking at me, just so you know. (laughs) I love this. I, yeah. I mean, the hard thing is being like, oh, I could have a conversation with you for 12 hours (laughs) and every minute would be worth recording. Um, I do. So as we kind of go into February, uh, Uh, there's going to be like a little bit of a focus on this concept and experience of love and what that means and, and how people perceive that differently and experience that differently. And, um, I would love to just hear about your experience, honestly, receiving love from some of the groups or individuals who have been excluded from church world, which Mm. I mean, blatantly is women is the queer community, uh, is a lot of different races. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like, and I know from kind of following along that is you're trying to shift that and be really inclusive specifically to people who don't feel like they have a place. Yeah. Um, and so how have you received a love and maybe this will help shift kind of the conversation from what you were saying. I feel like I'm just saying this or talking this Uh, rather than, Hey, honestly, part part of being human is not just giving to people and saying, believe this or choose this. It's also just receiving love from one another. And I'm curious of what your experience like with that has been. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that is so, it's so important for us to see that there is a mutual dignity in each other, right? That as much as I want to give, I also need to receive from other people. And that's, yeah. And to see someone with respect, like this person has something really valuable to teach me um, or give to me, not to like use them, but to just respect them and really admire them. Um, Okay. I have two stories. One is my first year in seminary. Um, I have really severe post-concussion syndrome and I, and I hit my head my first year in seminary and I was in 
such chronic pain and I was trying to go to a class and I left the class early and I was crying. I felt so out of it. And I came back to the class to grab my bag and my things. And there were at least 10 people. It was a big lecture. And there were at least 10 people waiting for me. Um, and they just hugged me and embraced me um, and then prayed for me and offered random words of support and solidarity. And the group... Um, yeah, as I'm thinking of, like, it was mainly queer people. Um, one of the friends was Jewish. Some were uh, people of color. I don't know if anyone was straight in that group. Um, it was a pretty queer, queer bunch and interreligious and ethnically diverse. And they just cared for me. Um, they physically held me and hugged me. I was sobbing. I was beside myself with the pain I was in and just how much I felt like I was falling behind in, in my classes. And um they held me and they and they um they cared for me in a way that really shifted my understanding of oh I'm not here to minister to them. They're here to minister to me. Right. Like that was oh just such a beautiful act of love. And as I continued throughout the years I had I just developed really amazing mutual relationships relationships with these people where um as I was holding them they were holding me and that really expanded my view of God and and what community looks like and who community is made up of another one is um I did a lot of work with uh with uh, Muslim families and um and I'm laughing because I'm just like, some of it's just the best stories. Like it just brings me so much joy thinking of these families. Um, I, I mentioned breaking bread for Ramadan, celebrated Ramadan with families, celebrated um, a lot of different events. And the families would often invite me over uh, for a meal. And I would just go into their apartments and receive from them. Um, some would bake me bread and and give me bread and send me home with it. And it was just such a beautiful, um, yeah, a beautiful gift to be hosted by someone. And I love hosting. I love having people in my home and playing the role of host. But to allow um, to learn how to be a good guest also shifted some things. So those were kind of long stories, but they like take me to these beautiful people that loved me really profoundly and um, redefined who who loves me, who cares for me, mm-hmm. and honestly really reshaped how I view what God is like, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, this might, we're going to wrap up with this. <laughs> this question for you um and and maybe you can kind of share some of the studies on just like what you're experiencing with the virtues um yeah. and how mm-hmm. that plays in but think as thinking about our society and our world yeah. right now and just honestly it, it feels like there's a lack of empathy yeah. and almost a burnout of empathy yeah um and a lot of people just trying to figure out what they care about and how to care well and how to love. I think it needs to be talked about more because I think in so many ways, myself and other people feel 
exhausted sometimes. And I think that there's empathy there. And then there's also a call to, to be a world that needs to love better. Clearly there's a lack of love in our world right now. So kind of taking that into consideration, how would you encourage people to not close their eyes to the universe right now, but to uh, stay attentive and to be open to giving and receiving love right now? Mm, That's a good question. And a question we will all forever wrestle with. (laughs) Love, you can't give what you don't have. So what I'm seeing right now with a lot of uh, my congregants is people need to feel belonging and accepted. So for a lot of people, especially ones that are disillusioned by church and Christianity, the piece that is absent from a lot of people's life is a community um, and a community to care for one another. And so my encouragement is if you you do not, I don't know, for people, people do not need to go to church. It doesn't church. I mean, I I pastor at two churches, but churches and everything. So it's like it doesn't have to be church, but find places of belonging, places where we can be completely ourselves um, and be held and try to do that with people that are different, right? Like people that can hold us that look different. I think belonging really, really is at the heart of what love towards neighbor looks like. If I don't feel love, I'm going to have a hard time loving. And I look backing on looking back on my faith story. So many of the times I was most dysregulated with my own questions about the church and the Bible were times where I felt alone. Uh, right. When I felt so frustrated with the exclusiveness or the racism or whatever, like just all of the things I was seeing, I was in a context where I was one of the only people saying these things. And then when I experienced new communities of belonging, where people had been asking those questions for generations, I didn't feel as angry. It was like this thing settled for me. And so my encouragement is is to find places of belonging because belonging is at the heart of it all. That's something Willie um, Willie James Jenning really talks about. Uh, he's a great a great scholar talking about whiteness and I don't know, a lot of amazing things. But anyways, belonging is really really there. Um, another piece is what do I have the capacity for? Um, and being realistic on. Um, I don't know, for the folks that are really dysregulated in their own spiritual journey, um, it might not be the most high capacity time to to engage in conversation with people that have different beliefs, <laughs> um, right? Like, so I think there's another part of like assessing our own capacity uh, and trying to regulate and, and move through, yeah, um, I guess like relationally what we're up for. And there's so much more I wish I could say there. Um, But yeah, I just had to start like feel belonging, feel, Mm -hmm. feel places of love from people, but also from spirit and, um, and really, and that will impact a lot of relationships. And there's so much relationally there too, but um, for the sake of time, I'll stop. Yeah. Gosh, I just, I really love 
love that concept of belonging and also understand how hard it is sometimes Yeah, to even want to belong. Because I think, I mean, a lot of the things I've shifted through and continue to shift through is that um, sometimes finding yourself alone in something is comforting because you don't have to have the part of you that's unsure or suffering be seen. And I think that when we talk about belonging, and this is something I'm very passionate about and something I didn't know you would bring up in that way, but I think when we talk about belonging, we also have to pair it with this concept of shifting our view on shame, shame, because shifting our view on suffering, holding so much shame, because if I'm going to belong, then it, it requires me to belong when I'm not feeling worthy of belonging. And it requires me to allow, be allowed to show up on really dark moments and really dark days and that's so hard. <laughs> like that's so hard because it's it's there's been so much narrative that we have to have something put together in order to invite people in or to show up with others. And so as we become a world who that decides whether we're going to allow people to be loved and to love others and to belong and to experience the depth of being human with one another, we're also going to have to navigate with how to suffer well together. And yeah, I'm just very thankful you brought that up and just thankful that you are, are part of communities that understand the importance of that. And yeah, I just, I love what you're you're continuing to do and continuing to learn. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm just very thankful for you. (laughs) My gosh. Well, can I say more on what you were just saying? Sure. (laughs) Um, I just, what you were saying on shame, um, Howard Thurman, who is like a spiritual hero to me, uh, he says, love is only made possible with two freed spirits. And I think about that in the sense of belonging and liberation. And as you're saying, because right, there's this inner, um, there's this like own, it's like the intra and interpersonal like battles that we're talking about. And then there's, of course, the corporate, but like that my own shame is saying, I am a sinner. I am unworthy. And that's a theological framework that so many of us we're brought up with. I am unworthy. I am a sinner. But in the very first chapter of the Bible, we are introduced to God made people in the image of God. And like people are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So it's like our first introduction to how God creates is God creates in God's image. So each of us have God within us. And so to to shift away from I'm a sinner, right? Like I, and it's a shame. It's a really shame driven theology of like, I'm a sinner in just desperate need of repair, but shift towards, Oh, I'm made in the image of God. I have God's goodness reigning in me. And I also have a lot of limitations and I'm so grateful for grace. And also I have something beautiful to contribute. And that's part of that freedom and that liberation. And what I'm seeing in 
communities is for queer people to say, no, God's goodness reigns in me. Like I get to be queer. I get to be fully myself and, and loved, or we were just studying Christina uh, Cleveland this last week. And she has a book called God is a black woman and like her freed spirit of like seeing God as a black woman. And there's this, this freedom, the sense of like, no, not only does God love me, but God is in me and I am made in the image of God. And when I embrace that, I'm able to like, I feel belonging, but I'm also able to love people in such a deeper way. Yeah. That's just, I I'm watching it be so powerful in people's lives. Yeah. And can you just imagine what that would look like if our world reflected that? Now it's time for me to tell a joke. Sing closely to the one I told in you. Why was Cinderella so bad at soccer? Why? She kept running away from the ball. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Giving Gifts. Like, share, and subscribe. This show is a shit. Spread some love and joy. Know that you're a gift.